Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Hello, I'm Ryan Ripley. Joining me tonight is Zach Boniker. Zach, why don't you go ahead and do an introduction? We'll jump right into the conversation. We've got a lot to talk about tonight, especially your most recent article. It's pretty exciting, and uh, we want to get right into that. Hey there. So my name is Zach Boniker. I am, well, a practicing Agile coach. Uh, right now, I'd like to think of myself more as uh, a benevolent troublemaker in my organizations, and I'm a big advocate and believer um, in Agile as a next-generation uh, wave of business thinking. I first got involved with Agile, well, with a team around 2005, 2006, friend doing a startup. It's what first exposed me to the Scrum framework, and it just kind of grew my interest from there. So, yeah, so since 2006, I guess you could say I've been accepting input from reality and responding to it. It's guided me in my career, and it's helped me through a number of Agile transformation efforts, uh, both large and small. And now here I am on, on my own, trying to change you know, businesses and making, make people's lives better one day at a time. This article you did is blowing up, and I'd love to walk through it with you. Yeah, sure. Actually, you're getting some really good comments, too. Oh, are you looking at it on, on LinkedIn? Yeah, this is, LinkedIn is um, my handy replacement for the fact that I, I'm not a great writer. I don't think I ever have been. Um, it's not something that I really get passionate about. So everyone's like, oh, you got to get a blog. You got to get these things going. It's like... <sighs> so I just use that as kind of my, my portal to have like somewhat of a blog. And then I finally got shamed into getting, tw 
you know, actually starting with Twitter. It's funny because I've been putting it off for years, just thinking I'm not going to really get into it. And I started it and I've actually had a blast with it over the last few days. So that's one good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I caved. It's addictive though. You start pushing the phone for more updates and more updates. And then you're just, it, an hour goes by and you're just stuck in it. <laughs> Yeah, and Twitter's fun until you write something that people don't like. Oh, and then you get and then, and it, then you get abused. Then it gets interesting. Then you get I'm amazed at the anti-agile movement that's still out there. These people just hate it. I don't know, man. I think I think part of it, you know, kind of speaks to the heart of what, you know, I wrote in that article, right? Where we're kind of talking about is it an ignorance, is it a misunderstanding thing, or is it really just people lashing out at what it's become and what they see? You know, I don't know. Because it's such a hard thing to disagree with, especially if you're an engineer. Why wouldn't you be in favor of it? Sounds like a lot of good stuff there. So you are an independent then out there contracting and working with multiple companies. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, right. At this time, um, that's that's the path I'm taking. My my current client, client I'm most engaged with, is actually uh, 24-Hour Fitness. So I'm uh, I'm with a gym company that is trying to, well, take Agile and really apply it to their IT organization from their internal software development practices and then promote that out through the rest of the organization. It's very bottoms up. It's been very challenging. And uh, <laughs> we'll see where this one goes. This, this is definitely a big puzzle to try to solve. It's been fun, though. So I think we first kind of met up on LinkedIn, right? Some, uh, I think some discussions we crossed paths on and really wanted to talk to you because when you make a comment, usually very insightful, a lot of lean thinking in it, not necessarily dogmatic scrum. So always have appreciated that when you jump into a conversation and you and you share your thoughts there. So really excited to do this with you. And speaking of LinkedIn, you've kind of you've dropped a bomb on, on LinkedIn with the subversion of Agile. Agile is a cancer. Very strong words, very interesting topic. It's a topic that you know, I know, as you noted in your article, Dave Thomas has really been speaking loudly about. And, and so have quite a few other Agile advocates over the past few years. And I'm hoping, as long as you're all right with it, we can walk through and kind of unpack that article, see what's there, and, and go from there. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So what led to this? Uh, what I find, at least in my experience, is that when I have an article like this flow from me, something has happened. Something has triggered it. A, a co-worker has said something, uh, management has done something odd that has thrown me off on my thinking. And, and then a post like this appears. So is there a story behind the story? Is there anything like that, that little antidote or story to share? I wish I had a really brilliant answer for this one. The, the problem with me is I tend to be thinking about a hundred things at once and, and follow my own advice of limiting my work in progress. So <laughs> all these thoughts have just been going through my mind and I've been trying to struggle with really what it was. And eventually I, I stumbled on a video from Eric Meyer, who was speaking at, I think it was Reactor Dev in Finland. And it was at the beginning of the year in January. And he gave us this talk that, you know, he's a pretty, uh, you know, pretty inflammatory guy, at least, you know, he's not afraid to make a statement. And so he came out and he said, Agile is a cancer, folks, and we need to remove it from the industry. And right away, my eyes just went wide and I thought, what, why would, why would he say this? And I was hooked and, and then it all kind of, you know, came together, you know, when he's, you know, was, was really just really critical of scrum and that's fine that he can be critical of scrum. But when we start talking about agile as a cancer, we have to remove it for the industry. It made me think back to, um, you know, the, the art of Dave Thomas, where he said, agile is dead, long live agility. It's time to just let go of the word agile because it's been subverted in his words to something that really these days, uh, our agile community is just a bunch of consultants and vendors there to hawk their services and products. And that's when it really, you know, all came together for me. I was inspired to write this article because I, I, I felt like I'd put my finger on a pulse of something that um, for years I was, I was thinking about. And we've, we're pursuing the Agile manifesto, 
yet we're discovering that it has larger organizational implications. And we've struggled with our software background to talk to non-software people and make them understand what that means to be agile. And that's that when he says agile is cancer, I think that's what he's talking about is it's our inability to progress, to, to tell you know the executives and to get them on board to create agile organizations, not necessarily just an agile department or a set of agile teams. So do you think it's a, a communication block between, I guess, agile advocates and traditional managers? Is that where the, the separation is? Yeah, it could be. I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there and and, and it kind of lead to this as, as I think one of the biggest pain points in the article where the catch-22 that we have these days is that we have managers that they, they want to be benevolent, they want to do what's right, Yet they're also very prideful and, you know, have been doing things their way for a long time. And they hear of the benefits of Agile, they try. And they're unsuccessful in doing so. And instead of seeking help, they define, so without even really knowing their problem, they then create the job requirements for people to come in and solve the problem. And then you get recruiters that are getting misinformed, basically. And it just creates this cycle, right? We've got an, an, an industry, and it's, it's hard to blame the people who wanted to capitalize on it. <laughs> I can understand that part. But we've got a very... You know, what is an agile certification these days? You know, and we've got an easy to get, easy to sell certification mill that adds to that noise, right? So we've got this whole cycle where people have been unable to solve their problems and they haven't, you know, in an agile way asked for help to collaborate with people to discover it. We've just been trying to define it. And these are the, and I think, again, this is this cancer that, that you know, Meyer and, and Dave Roberts that they're talking about wanting to eliminate. Um, it's, it's that ignorance outside of software. It's that ignorance in leadership in trying to grow agile. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think it does. And it's, it's a thought that, that I've had lately. It's actually part of a conversation I was having today with, with peers and other managers is that, you know, I view Agile as a grenade. You know, I, your metaphor is cancer. I think it's a grenade that we drop in an organization. It blows up, but instead of damaging people, it does good. It's a benevolent explosion, right? But it's also, it can be painful. And I think it's very scary to people, especially in in leadership structures, in, in heavily organized structures where power could be lost, influence could be lost, prestige, whatever it is that a typical manager or director VP has, well, now we're shaking that up. We're shuffling the deck and saying, no, the the center of this organization is now the product. It's not the the org structure. I, I really think that that terrifies people and it created a market for these consultants and vendors to come in and say, look, we'll make you agile. We'll satisfy your shareholders and you don't have to change a thing. And that sells like crazy, right? Yeah, right. I want Agile. It's like a, a, a quote from a, uh, you know, a, a, a vice president of a very, very large company. You know, I, I had, this is one of the quotes I, I, I chose to use in the article. Where he said, I want Agile. He's like, Here, here's, here's what I need from you, Zach. I need you to come in. I need the benefits of Agile, but you, you're going to have to do it in a way that doesn't change anything, right? So I just, basically what we need is we need to get better at what we do. I need Agile to work with today's processes and without changing the organization. And he just shook his head, or shook his hand and said, good luck with that, I can't do it, I'm sorry. <laughs> I want, so basically I want double the productivity at zero cost. Yeah, you know. Excellent. And, that, and that's a lot, <laughs> at least in my experience. So I guess I'm, I'm one of those unique um, consultants these days where I'll go out there and, and I'm not trying to get the job so much as I am trying to make sure that I'm comfortable taking the job. And when I ask people, uh, you know, what's off limits to me, 
in the organization. You know, if I come in, is there anything that's off limits? And if they say, yeah, yeah, you can only work in IT, then I'll be like, okay, good luck, goodbye, and then walk out the door. You know, it's it's kind of the idea of you know, do you do you, do you want to be really great or do you just want to be mediocre, right? So I'm not afraid to uh, to to say no. But what I'm seeing out in the industry, you know, when I talk with with a lot of the organizations, is that agile really is perceived to be a software thing. It's an engineer thing. It's a worker bee thing. So I couldn't even say it's like a management fad. It's it's literally this perception from people in management, those that are that are bringing people on to help with you know their 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 agile needs and wants, and it's just just make the workers do it, and they don't want to change. I, don't tell me how to do my job. I've spent twenty years to get to this position. I'm a very smart person. Don't tell me what to do. Make them do it. And those are the people that I say, look, it, I'll try to overcome the injection and help them understand, but uh, then I have to walk out the door. And that leads me to a whole theory in, uh, of, of, you know, what I think kind of our next wave of, of pursuing our agile knowledge is. And so what do you think that is? What's the, uh, what's the next step that, you know, in your case, you're walking away, but is, and I, and I think that's right. So if a company is not willing to, to look at the big picture in a transformation, you can't be successful. You will ultimately fail after, and I think it's possible to get a performance bump by energizing people with a, the promise of something different, but it turns into a, a disingenuine pitch, right? Oh, I mean, you're, yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's very disrespectful almost, right? And there's also a threat. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I learned the hard way uh, with a, a, a company, you know, when I was kind of getting, getting going on doing this on my own, where I took that that, you know, I, I, I dove in, I said, okay, it's everything's kind of off limits. It's going to be entirely bottom up. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do just like you said, I'm going to teach these people, you know, what's possible and get them to think in new ways. And when they realized their management wouldn't change, they all left. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> a dangerous kind of a good thing to do for, and I felt terrible about it, but it was, yeah. So there's what a, and I, I've seen that exact situation before. I know a number of consultants that I've talked to who have said the same thing. Yeah. We taught this group a better way. Their eyes opened up. And when they realized, like you said, management's not changing, they bolted. And all of a sudden, you know, you lose five to 10 engineers, very bright people at the core of your product. That's, that's pain. So I, very interesting <clears throat> that it seems to be a common trend. So I think it's great that, that as a consultant, you show the integrity to walk away from those situations because you know it could even damage the client. And it's too bad that more don't. But aside from walking away, is there a path through? I mean, how do we get... I guess the the nut to crack, I think, in the next wave of Agile is how do you get business and management on board? Yeah. Are, are you, did you intentionally leave breadcrumbs from me, right? I mean, that, that's just <laughs> about the most perfect setup. So so like I said, I've been thinking, you know, I think about a lot of things, right? And over the last few years, I'd, I'd, I'd struggled to understand what it is I was trying to understand until I realized it was that we have a manifesto for software development that speaks to our engineers and our developers and our people that way. And it's it doesn't enable the conversations that we need to grow, to scale agile, you know, to grow beyond. I mean, if you're just a small company, maybe it works. But what about a company that's got, you know, 20 different verticals with 20,000 employees and they want to get the benefit of agile? And maybe it's not just software that they do, right? How do we how how do we become agile? And that's that the idea that we we need a manifest sounds. I don't I don't really mean a manifesto, but we need like a manifesto or something that describes an agile organization. And that's boom, this clarity, this this moment happened. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to completely, uh, I'm not working for him, but it's uh, all the credit is going to go to him here. I, I had a conversation then with, um, with a very, very amazing thinker, a great colleague by the name of Dan Greening. Um, so hopefully some listeners out there, you know, are, are following Dan Greening or know Dan Greening. Um, he's currently collaborating with Jeff Sutherland, and they're both going to be speaking at Agile 2015 on the 
the agile base patterns, the base patterns of an agile organization. And I went, ah, that's what I was looking for. So I got in touch with Dan and I shared him my pillars that I had defined and he shared with me his. And I think that this is really cutting edge stuff that is, is changing my mindset. It's changing other people's mindset of, of realizing we know how to talk to teams. We know how to talk to product you know, strategies and product owners and people like that about growing agile teams. And But how do we talk to the organization about agile? And this is where these base patterns come in. So, you know, check out Dan Greening. Listeners go to, you know, his, his site. It's Senex Rex, S-E-N-E-X-R-E-X. Read his blog and, and just take a look at this stuff. And I'll introduce it here. But this is, this is really what's at the forefront of my mind these days. And I, I think this is the next step where we look at an agile organization and we say, what, do the, what are their patterns? And it, it, the, the first thing that a, an agile organization does is that they measure economic progress. They have an economic framework for, you know, companies go, no, 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 we do that. We do a big feasibility study with a big ROI projection. We're not talking about economic guesses. We're talking about economic measurements. How do we, do we prioritize using an economic framework and do we get the feedback on our initiatives in an economic you know, stance so that we know if we're on the right track or not? So first, they measure economic progress. Second is they adaptively experiment. This could be a culture of continuous improvement, but they're not afraid to try experiments to gain a competitive advantage. We want fast feedback. We want to amplify our feedback loops. So we're going to adaptively experiment. Third is the Agile organization is going to limit their work in progress. Well, that's great. We're going to design systems of work that incorporate pull methods, not push methods, right? We're going to get away from big phase gated batch work. And, you know, maybe I've got 20 initiatives that I want done and I've got five teams. Well, I better not have 20 initiatives or 20 projects in progress, right? We're going to limit our work in progress. We're not going to mistake activity for accomplishment. Only done is, you know, done. Fourth, and this is where we start getting into the management culture. We're going to embrace collective responsibility. What does that mean? It means if there's an outcome that happens at a team level, we ask ourselves collectively, you know, how, how, how can I be responsible for this? If I'm a manager and my teams, they fail on something, I'm going to first ask myself, what did I do to possibly contribute to that? Did I do everything I could? Did I give them the environment? You know, I'll take collective responsibility for the outcome instead of point fingers at the teams. Hey, coaches, what's going on? We brought you on to make the teams be successful and they're not. What's, what's your problem? What's their problem, right? Collective responsibility. And then the last and the fifth is that they solve systemic problems, meaning they get to the root cause, right? Agile organizations don't scratch the surface, right? We're not afraid to dive deep and we may look for solutions that go beyond our department, our team, you know, our teams and our departments. We look to solve the problem systemically. So these are the five base patterns that, that Dan has been, you know, experimenting with and discovering. And I think this is it. I think that's the convert. This is how we engage executives, vice presidents, business people with Agile. We know how to talk to developers. Those five base patterns, I think, speak more to the business side that we can understand. This is who we are if we're an Agile organization. And I think that's part of the, the step of curing the cancer, the perception that it's just a development thing. And, you know, it's not an organization. It's not a people thing, right? Isn't that still difficult to walk into a CEO's office and and say, yeah, you've been doing this for a hundred years as a company. You're successful. You're on the, on the, you know, Dow Jones, whatever. Your stock is in the the stratosphere, but you want to be quicker. So we're gonna blow everything up. Isn't that still, that that's the part? Like I agree with the five pillars. I think those are brilliant, or the or the five areas or methods. You know, those are the 
or what did you call them? Practice patterns? Yeah, um, yeah. So Dan's so Dan's calling it, you know, the the the, the agile patterns, right? So the the base yeah. patterns. And I think those patterns are emergent in teams that embrace, I think, lean more than necessarily Scrum. Yeah, yeah. And so those companies, they start doing well on the software side. But when you break down, see, I'm going to have to edit part of this because now you've got me thinking. (laughs) It's good stuff, man. It is. So I'm just trying to think, how do you jump the org chart? So how do you get to where the business says, yes, it's a good idea to tear this down. Yes, we want to see collective uh, responsibility, but I still want to drive an Audi. I still want a 30% bonus (laughs) and I still want to take my kids to Disney every year. How do you get through that? I, God. Oh, that's that's the hey. that's the question that's occupying my brain lately. Yeah, yeah. I'm not... it's, a, it's a great question, right? And and so if we're gonna think, you know, and we're gonna take an agile, you know, stance, we're gonna really value the individual, the interaction first, and we're probably gonna accept that people are very complex creations. So I don't right. know if there's ever gonna be a silver bullet to have this conversation. You know, here's a here's a way. Here's how we're gonna engage people to make this happen. I think we can use these patterns to create a framework, and I think we need to, you know, whenever I go and I sit down and talk with you know, an executive or somebody, you know, first, I just want to know who the person is. I want to value them. I mean, what are their fears? What are their beliefs? What are their concerns? Who are they as a person, right? Sometimes you discover that, you know, really what they are interested in is something, you know, outside of the workplace. And so great. Everyone loves stories. I can tell a story about that and connect it to a different way of work that maybe gets them engaged, you know? So there isn't an easy way to solve a person problem because people are complex. But I really love these patterns because I think it, it helps us c- discover frameworks or, or, or I guess space that we could have these conversations. But t- I'll tell you, when you figure out how to, how to talk to a CEO perfectly about an agile transformation, let me know. You've got the silver bullet and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to work, yeah, I'm gonna work I, for you on that one because you're going to be successful. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a silver bullet, I, but I do like your concept of finding out their fears, their values, their beliefs. I love the concept of actually trying to develop personas around managers and directors and VPs and CEOs and even trying to figure out who's movable, who's a mover, and who's immovable, right? So you have those three types of people, and if you can get them shuffled in the right spots, you figure out who to work with, who to network with, where the the pathways are. And and so I think that's why there isn't a silver bullet, as you said. It's just it's so fascinatingly complex. But I still think those five agile patterns feed into value. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we get our traction, Right. So if you walk into a CEO's office and you say, look, this is going to be a hard pill to swallow. But at the end of it, we think we can gain 30 percent, 40 X percent value. You at least have their attention. Yep. But then you have to prove it. So, yeah. But but the great thing about that is that if you can start that conversation and, you know, hey, I I, I in in my article, I even spoke to saying, hey, as a leader, it's okay to say, I don't know. Instead, surrender to your problem, surrender to your problem, elevate it and invite dialogue. I'll tell you right now, Ryan, I, I've been successful with some executives and I've been terrible at convincing other people where it just I just couldn't connect with them. So I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly how to solve it. But when we do engage that top level, the leadership level of an organization, we get them, you know, thinking agile and, and, and wanting it. Then we create a top down transformation. And that's such a powerful thing, right? Because when executives demand agility, <laughs> they get it, right. they get it. And their people below start to just respond accordingly because we've got these respected individuals above that are demanding change. And so they're going to please them and they're going to go for it. Right. So a top down transformation is there, there's just, there's so many hurdles to overcome 
uh, in a bottom up, so many hurdles and objections and sales pitches. And it's just, it's such a challenging thing to do. A top down transformation, God has so much, I mean, there's so much more potential there, you know? So if we can use these base patterns and we can, you know, get, you know, tell a story around them with leaders and, and, and maybe walk them to getting to that vision, that place, that better place, that better, happier organization that's more successful, tell a story around that. Maybe we can get them invested and then we create a top-down transformation. That's what we should be pursuing, more top-down. And I believe this, more top-down uh, transformations to increase the amount of success stories that we have out there because we have so many, so many failure stories of agile transformations. And when you go back and you look at them, they're, they're always bottom up. They always are. Yeah, it, it is truly difficult to go from that grassroots all the way up to the top. And I, I've seen the same kind of horror stories that you've mentioned where started with great intentions, developers wanted to change the way they work, business resisted, huge epic fights, lots of firings, lots of failure. And it's truly not a lot of fun. But yeah, I agree. You got to go top down. And, and that's where you find the big successes at least in, in, I think in our experience, it's just, it's the authority and you have to start with that. Yep. You know, the, the ability to fundamentally change a company doesn't come from the bottom. Right. And how, so where, how, how, how did your transfer? I mean, how, how did you get, where, where did Agile come from? Um, you know, it's your place to work today. So here's where I contradict myself. <laughs> <laughs> the last transformation that I did, it was at uh, one of the larger hardware wholesalers in the country, they were looking for a better way to deliver projects because basically their project portfolio was in uh, not great shape. So I was brought in in a project management role, traditional project manager role, uh, inherited a project that was way over budget and running way behind, very angry customer. And I was given authority to do whatever it took, including implementing Scrum to get the project back on track. And I said, that's fine, but we're going to work in a certain way. We're going to implement certain patterns. And it has to be in an agile fashion where we have as a team the authority to make quicker decisions. Mm -hmm. I got full buy-in from all the way up to the VP of IT, and they said, do it. And within probably a three-month period after we delivered the third sprint, so I, we started a, at a four-week sprint, modified Scrum, right? So it's Scrum Light, just to get the team moving, thinking, sure. got the customer back in the room, who was not really thrilled at first about talking to the team after months and months prior to my arrival going badly, yeah. or things going badly. And all of a sudden, we made three deliveries of, of good code, of features that they needed. And that got a lot of attention. It was amazing what delivering three or four value-added features did to the perception of the team. So now all of a sudden the team is energized. They're excited. They're, they're finding success after months of, of struggle. Business is excited. They have a feature that added immediate value back to their process. And my management is, is just totally almost relieved. Like we got code out the door that and what baffled most of them was, well, wait, the project's not finished. How did you release? And so you start having those kind of conversations, and then suddenly, hey, we want this. And it went all the way up to the, the CEO from the VP of IT, and, and they said, yes, this is what we want to do. It got to the point to where we actually were doing uh, planning poker, what I call planning poker in the boardroom, which is a, a post I need to get out soon, mm -hmm. yeah. where prioritizing enterprise-wide goals and projects done with planning poker cards. Wow. You know, we're going to estimate the value. We're going to estimate the effort at an executive point level. 
you know, create a backlog and then push that down for other teams to work on. And it, it's working amazingly well. They're making decisions quickly. Uh, they're, they're inspecting and adapting those decisions constantly. They're getting the right projects done in the right amount of time, delivering you know, the necessary value at that moment they need it. Incredibly effective. But it started, you know, back to your original question, what brought it in? Desperation. Right. Project in a tailspin and they gave the authority to do what was needed. And it's that quick victory that led to that enterprise wide adoption. Yeah, it's that's 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 really interesting. Right. So so you've got an example here of kind of a bottom up success story. But the I think there's an important uh, an important thing there that, that, that enabled it is that there was desperation, it sounds like. Right. And maybe desperation is a strong word. I think there was just a real big desire to not have this project fail. It was an it was an application that was twenty years old. In order to the server was outdated, but they couldn't change the server because the software would only run on this certain architecture. So to to actually maintain the app, they would have to go out to eBay to try to find parts for this box. Yes. You know, it's one of those things, and it's running, and it was running a key process to a $4 billion company. Wow. If this system goes down, product stops getting sold. Wow. And so it was this horrible central point of failure. And uh, yeah, so they maybe desperate is the right word. It needed to get replaced quickly. Well, or, or, or at least it's that, you know, because I've kind of observed this, you know, when, when you talk and you try to introduce Agile at, you know, really at any level, there's, there's always people who are just new. They don't have biases. They're not thinking, you know, in a dogmatic way. And they're just kind of, sponges right ready to try something cool i got something for you to try and right. there's people who have nothing to lose <laughs> it can't get any worse yep. it can't get any worse i've got nothing to lose those are great those are great places to be and i think in a bottom-up you know transformation hey if we're really at that place then yeah we can be kind of successful i guess what's at least with like you know the the current engagement that i'm at with um with my client for them it, it wasn't a place of desperation it was some people asked for it and it was kind of like, well, will that make them happy? Yeah, let them do it, you know. Um, and that's not a place of desperation. There's not a place of, you know, a, a, a unity of purpose there in the, the the department to make this happen. So yeah, in those kind of cases, bottom up, you know, really, really struggle. So it's great that you were able to to actually get a, a a bottom up that went all the way to the top and caught on. I think it's amazing. It's like at the leadership level, you have like a strategic scrum team building a backlog and kind of working the same way that their teams do. Yet. It's driving the organization. That's awesome. That's that's so it that's is. inspiring for me. I mean, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, and it, what's interesting is, I don't know if, I, I think it is part desperation, but what really made the difference, and I think this is common across a lot of transformations, there is a clear sense of urgency, right? That something had to change or else this was going to be catastrophic. And when that presence isn't there, bottom-up certainly can't work. And in the case that I just laid out, the reason that bottom-up work is that I had authority from the top down, ah. right? So there were no barriers. There was a direct line to all the way up to C-level people saying, if you need something, say it, and we will do it. And so there were no, no barriers, no problems. Organizationally, there were no uh, blockers. It's, it was, it's a very flat org. And so those were kind of perfect conditions for a bottom-up engagement, it's not something I would recommend in many cases, and it was a surprise to me. Mm. So I actually took a job as a traditional PM expecting to do some hybrid waterfall nonsense that we've been doing for the past 50 years. And when that opportunity emerged, it, it was excellent. So, so, so yeah, so, so if you look at what the environment was like from that base patterns perspective, 
you know, let's, let's kind of look at it. I mean, adaptively experiment. I mean, you said you started with something that was kind of scrum like, and it sounded like you grew practices. So, you know, you started with some small experiments to figure out what was working to gain traction. So that was great. You've got the leadership, right. That, that, that you said you could go to for support. They didn't say, I don't care how you do it. Just get it done. They said, no, no, no. I, I, tell me what you need and I'll help. So it's a bit of that shared uh, responsibility. You know, you were, you were limiting your work in progress, obviously by using an iterative method and trying to focus on delivering. So, I mean, you created, you know, the, you started demonstrating some of those patterns, you know, that made it successful. And, and you're, you're touching on the fact that it went beyond just the team to make it happen. Right, so yeah, it fundamentally changed the business as well. So on the the product, first of all, just naming a product owner was huge. This person has the authority to guide the product, and, and from that point forward, the business started thinking in in vertical slices of an application instead of a big bang, which is also very critical. Yeah, yeah. We have to slice this thing from the UI down to the database and understand the fields and the data driving what we want to do, and that was also important. And then, like I said, from the C level. There's, they all have a deck of, of planning poker cards, and they are, they are honestly driving a, a company through you know, affinity estimation. It, it really is awesome to see. Yeah, I, you know, you, uh, a, um, a colleague of mine has a great quote. He goes, you know, I, I seek something that gets my tank full every day. Like, I got to feel like my tank is full, otherwise I run out of energy. And I think, I think you just did it for me, right? And I think you, I think you filled my tank today, just giving me a vision of, you know, people in a boardroom, executives in a boardroom saying, all right, all right, let's, let's pull out the planning poker deck. Let's estimate that. That's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's an excellent, I, I appreciate that. I, it really is a, it's a neat thing to see, but it's also, it was amazing to see people in that position, just admitting that estimates are kind of garbage. We acknowledge that, Hey, it's an estimate. It's likely wrong. Only the only thing that's perfect are actuals and it's too late then. So we're going to do this quickly. We're going to try to understand the value instead of a cost or a duration, and we're going to go forward. Mm. It really is a neat change. And even, even from that point of view, you know, the typical project, they want to know the cost up front. They want to know, know the duration up front. And by they, I just mean traditional management. Sure. And then you're allowed to do it if it all fits within some preconceived date. In this case, they just shook that up and said, well, the cost is fixed because we have a scrum team that has a run rate. So we know the cost. Yep. So if so that that part of the equation is fixed, and we know pretty much what the value should be because we've taken the time from a product owner's perspective to do some due diligence and know what this system could generate. So long as X is greater than Y, go do it, and we'll keep we'll, we'll basically keep the scope flexible. Totally turn that iron triangle on its side. Right? It's no longer fixed scope, fixed date, fixed cost, with quality being the only lever to pull, now all of a sudden it's just value that you can enhance. And it, it really did open eyes and blow minds. It was, it was really a neat, uh, a neat path they went down. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Like you said, I, fills, fills my tank. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm good for the rest of the day. I've got a good vision in my mind, something I can take <laughs> to, to work tomorrow. <laughs> so Agile's no longer a cancer for you. Yeah. Right? Hey, it never was, right? It never was. I, I think Eric Meyer clearly, clearly does not believe in Scrum, right? And that's fine, right? Because Scrum is just a framework. But uh, it's hard to see how you could call Agile a cancer. I guess, in, yeah. you know, if you go out there and you see it and you see how people interpret it, yeah, I could say that's a cancer. Agile itself isn't. That was a pretty strong statement. Agile as a word, I think, is a joke. And I, I don't think it's a funny one anymore. 
it's one of those that a lot of people throw it around. And I, I think your article just, it hits a nerve with everyone, but it's a, it's a positive nerve. It's one of those that just acknowledges how silly the words become. And I, I, so I, I appreciate it on, on that standpoint. You know, most people will say, oh, we don't plan anymore. We're agile. And I've heard this on so many conference calls where we're talking to vendors. They're like, no, we're not going to give you a timeline. We're agile. And you try to explain, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm just a simple-minded scrum guy, but uh, you still forecast. Yeah. I mean, you, you still have to forecast a backlog. You know, there's no... So you can actually help us line up milestones and dates. And, nope, we're agile. We don't do that. And that hits, that hits into an area where the executives start listening to those kind of calls and they say, well, why would we ever do this? Where do we... We lose control. We lose risk mitigation. And in fact, it's furthest from the truth. So I... I understand this this problem that that you've pointed out that Eric Meyer took to an extreme, yeah, yeah. And, and that and that Dave Thomas certainly sensationalized and got a lot of attention around, and it's one that, you know, how do we fix it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, again, look, looking at those base patterns, I think is 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 a step. I think we. Also, just, you know, it, re, agile or not, right? We, we need to look at our organizations. We need to take a, a, a very close eye and, and really trying to, to continuously improve our organizations for our people and for our customers. And in doing so, look at what we do and see if that makes sense. <laughs> Are we doing everything that we can do today to drive the outcomes that we want? Which, I mean, okay, if it's software development, it's software that, you know, pretty pretty simply put kicks, right? That people love it. It's great quality. People are into it. That, that's the outcome we're, we're looking for. So let's look at the way that we, you know, from top to bottom, you know, think of our organization as a system. Are, are we optimizing it, right? Take a lean approach to it. I don't think we do enough of that. You know, it's, it's amazing to me, right? When, when you go in and you look at an organization, you, you get the salaries, I'll say that. I'll say, hi, hi, I want the department salaries, please. And whoa, whoa, why do you want that? Just, I'll explain it to you, but let me take a look. And and you go and you look at it and, and immediately you know there's a management problem when you can see that there's one or, or, or maybe none. Nobody in the department makes more than a manager. Okay, well, what are, right. what are we doing at this point? We're incentivizing people to just move up a hierarchy. It, does moving up the hierarchy contribute to the outcome that we're trying to do? Like, think about software. If I go as an amazing engineer and I just, God, I, I am a great engineer and I produce amazing software and I move up the hierarchy now to manage people, am I helping my organization produce better software? Maybe, maybe. Or maybe we just, could, to take the, the, the salesman equivalent, maybe we just put the best salesperson that we had in the sales manager position and that person can't manage at all. All they can do is sell. We haven't really helped our sales, right? So we do a lot of that. We create incentives in you know our modern Western or you know our our our, our Western world of, of corporations. Like we we create incentives that don't seem to align with the reasons that we're in business to begin with. You go and you look at an HR department, and you'll find at some HRs what's the what's the metric that they get rewarded on? Time to fill. At a lot of places, it's time to fill. And I think to myself, <laughs> my. God, that means the first person I interview is I, we should just, uh, the first applicant I get, boom, make sure that they're getting an interview. I mean, how is that getting the people into the organization to grow the organization and deliver the outcome that we're looking for? Um, how many, you, you talk to HR people and, and I'll, I'll use one, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't think that's fair to the organization or the person, but ask the director of HR at a company, 
you know, about this. They said it was, you know, time to fill. Okay, that's great. Tell me about what the difference is between hiring a person and filling a position. And they go, well, they're the same thing. And if anything, we have to make sure that we're filling the position. I mean, we can just hire anybody, but we got to make sure that we fill the position right. And I go, that's so backwards to me. You know? No, you got to fill the role, Zach. Yes. You got to make sure the role is is aligned and filled, and that uh, you check that box. Yeah, off. you got to check the box. Uh, do you have eight <laughs> years of you know experience and whatever? Hey, well, maybe I only have I six. Have oh, seven. you're not qualified then. Yeah. Like it's it's crazy to me. When are we going to value hiring a person as a means of solving our problems in and in, in growing business, not just filling positions and so so there's. There's a whole lot that we could talk about just in business in general. And I think agile thinking helps inform a lot of that questioning of what we do, trying to see if there's a better way and really, really saying, you know, the, 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 the status quo, it's not good enough. I think we can do better. Interesting part really is that it, uh, you know, among the many things you mentioned, it forces you to have a goal. And one of the most eye-opening things is uh, entering the corporate world and then navigating through a career is that not a lot of it's goal-driven necessarily. Yeah, right. You have people doing things out of tradition, things out of ceremony, things out of fear, things out of risk mitigation, things that whatever motivation there is, but it's not goal-based other than to avoid pain, yeah. right? And that's what these systems have, I think, done is that it just makes people look at the rewards versus the behavior expected, follow that pattern, and not really think about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Right. Have you ever, in, in your transformations, the people you work with, um, have you ever heard a lot of criticism around management, you know, Agile, that like, oh, we just need to get rid of managers. We don't need managers. We're Agile. I mean, do, do you encounter a lot of that? I have heard a lot of talk of that, and it actually sparked a talk that I'm going to be giving next month out in Vegas at the Better Software Conference. Cool. So I am actually, I'm very interested in the idea that a manager still has a place in an Agile organization that we can't just throw books at them. You know, Management 3.0, for example, yeah. excellent book. Right. Drive by Dan, by Dan Pink, excellent book. Uh, but we can't just throw them at people and say, everything you've done for the past 20 years that's made you successful is wrong, and here's what's right, and as soon as you get this, we'll be successful. Yeah. You know, that's not the approach. That's a train wreck. But, uh, but I think there is a way to understand them, as we talked about. I think there's a way to approach them and then there's a way to teach or coach them to be an agile enabler. And if we can have those valuable discussions that you were talking about earlier, if we can make that connection, tell them a story that's true and authentic, and then get that value proposition in front of them, a lot of that other chatter goes away. Mm -hmm. But you're right. The teams right now, I think there is an undertone of, of distrust uh, towards management that, that we do have to crack at some point. Yeah, yeah. So I'll put the I'll put the host on the spot. So since you're interested in it and you're giving a talk, if if people ask you and they, they say, so what is the role of management in Agile? What is Agile management? How how do you respond? So the role of an Agile manager, and it's yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot there, Zach. That's great. <laughs> yeah, the role I, I think is to and and a lot of people give the cliche that to enable the team, but I think the role of the manager is to create an environment of success for the team. So instead of assigning people to a team, how can they do a, a, How can they attract talent? How can they retain talent? Mm -hmm. How can they put systems in place that keep people where they where they currently are with great incentives and great benefits and all of those things, and not have them leave? You know, how do they do that? How do they enable a team to deliver continuously? 
Do they, can they work across organizations? Can they break down barriers and have influence outside of their org chart? You know, that's their role now. It's not to, to pick out tasks. It's not to say, hey, this is the job you're going to be doing today, like a factory worker from the 1960s or 50s or 40s or whenever. Now it's, it's that, that person that reaches across boundaries and takes down barriers. And that sounds, you know, still that, that's, down, that's still too pie in the sky, right? That's yes. still too, it's not very clear. So what I see, you know, as the day in the life of an agile manager is someone who addresses the needs of the team. And then that definition will be different uh, context to context, you know, work environment to work environment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with all of that. It's something that I've struggled with too, because my answer is always feels pie in the sky too. You know, it's this, I hate, I, I hate it. You know, <laughs> you talk with business people that have spent 20 years being so process centric that everything to them is just, it's a solution. It's a structure, right? And sometimes we, we deal in complexity here that there isn't a clear answer. And and I think it's it's always right to say, I, I don't know, it kind of depends. It could be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it sounds so puppies and kittens, you know? And I wish we could get a better way of doing it. But I always, I always tell people and they say, so, so what is agile management? What happens to management, especially middle management in an agile transformation? And I say, well, they make a pivot. And I, I don't, you know, this isn't my quote. And unfortunately, I, I, I want to say it's attributed down to Lisa Adkins or, or someone, but management works on making a pivot away from ensuring people do things right to guaranteeing that we're doing the right things. And people just go, what does that mean? And I go, well, think about it. Think about it. We're not talking about making sure people are doing things right. That's not your job any longer. You're making sure that your teams are headed in the right direction, that they're doing the right things, that they're taking a value-driven approach to their work, that they're focusing on delivering working software in whatever increment or time period if it's flow-based, you know, that you're doing the right things that we pursue, these outcomes that, that we pursue from an agile way of working. And that go, oh, okay, I kind of get that. It means I do a little bit of this, a little bit, yeah, yeah, it kind of does. But I, I agree with everything you say. I like, I like some of the, you know, some, some of the ways that you put it more than, than mine. I, I, it, it definitely feels fluffy to me. But yeah, I think that's an area too that we can grow. Um, an experiment. What is a really good, what is an answer that resonates with our modern organizations about what it means to become management in Agile? Well, and I think part of it too is making sure that your teams have the skills that, that they need to deliver successfully, mm-hmm. right? Are they T-shaped? If they're not, get them trained. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but also there still are boundaries that have to be set by a manager. I think the easiest way to explain this, the way that I explain it in my talk is through the context of Scrum. So Scrum is not a perfect framework. It's not... You know, by any means a silver bullet, but I think it is a great on-ramp to Agile, yeah. right? It gets you thinking in a way that's, you know, we're going to deliver frequently, we're going to inspect and adapt, and adapt our practices, we're going to be transparent, all good things. So if you look at the Scrum framework from the point of view of management, I think there are areas where mm-hmm. a manager puts things on the rails. You know, for example, definition of done. Mm-hmm. You know, there are organizational practices and policies that have to be enforced through a definition of done that a manager can influence. I think that would be first and foremost. But a lot of the the activities then, you know, you have your sprint sprint planning, you go into a your your sprint backlog, you do your development, your daily scrums. The manager's not in there, right? He's not really or she's not really interacting too much unless there's actually a, an HR related conflict, right? Then they have to step in, and that's still a role. So you get to to where you're in a, a sprint review. That's where I think the manager shines. 
So they're watching what the team did. They're listening for verbal cues of, of how they're presenting the, the software, how they're discussing how the, the sprint went with the product owner. They're, they're inspecting the backlog. There's all these cues that they can pick up and help provide guidance in a very non-threatening way, right? So they ask for permission to give a suggestion. For example, they're not invading on the team. They're guiding and, and, and trying to, to move them in a direction, not force them. Yeah. You know, agile retro- retrospectives come up. If there are things that come up in that retrospective that you have to reach across organizations, again, the manager has a role. But mostly, he's, he or she is setting up success. So it gets back to, like I said, are they T-shaped? If not, get them training. Do they have access to the database people? Mm-hmm. If not, establish that. Yep. And then once they're working in that way, they can actually focus on developing talent. And what's interesting is a colleague of mine, you know, once he went through this transformation, he became an agile manager. He, can't, he sat back, we were sitting back one day and he said, you know, it's amazing, Ryan. I'm actually, for once in the, you know, in the past 15 years, I'm doing my job. <laughs> I am developing people. I am managing careers for people. I'm, I'm helping them grow, and I'm not caught up in the tactical day-to-day nonsense that I was before. I'm not caught up you know, trying to force a delivery of a project that, that's dead on arrival. I'm, I'm helping people. And it was really, it was, a, it was a neat moment. It's one of those tank fillers that you mentioned where you're like, all right, this guy just found his calling. He's happy with what's going on. And it, it, I think it's so much more fulfilling than checking a box on some some project management method. Yeah, no, I agree. As well, well said, well said. Um, thinking about all the the things that we've talked about the the top down to bottom up, the 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 principles of of agile as a development standpoint to an organization and and management. You talked about you know you got a lot of experience with with Scrum. So when you take all this together, when when we're gonna create a scrum team where we're going to get the outcome that we're really looking for with scrum. It's the most important part, do you think? What's the, what's the piece that that makes it all happen? Is there is there a key, you know, that, that without this, it, it doesn't happen? Like, what's, what's really the big thing in, in creating a successful, you know, scrum team or, or, or scrum at an organization? It has to be voluntary. Yeah? First to me, that's first and foremost to me, That's that's got to be most important. Agile by coercion. Is a is a failure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think the people ha- the people have to be given the choice and make a conscious decision that they want to do Scrum and they want to be agile. And, and what that leads to, I know this you wanted the one thing, but no, no. but what that no. what that leads to is people internalize the agile values and the principles. And if that's driving their thinking because they've they've willfully or voluntarily accepted that, the, the, I think the chance of success goes through the roof. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, yeah, we can't, we can't just tell somebody we can, we can't get the benefits uh, or, or we can't achieve the outcome we want by just making people do it without understanding why or, or have feel like a, a purpose, right? Yeah. It's kind of like when we say collaboration, we want our teams to collaborate. Well, we don't really get the benefit of collaboration by saying, okay, now you go collaborate with each other, right? There, there has to be a reason. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've noticed in a lot of, of it with Scrum especially, you know, it is so well known and it is so popular. But you get out there with, with organizations and they try it and they look at the people that they have and they go, look at you, you're a, you're a project manager. And let's see, Scrum has a scrum master okay well that sounds about right here we'll make you a scrum master and business analyst yeah that's kind of like a product owner right okay now you're the product owner without even really considering one 
what the real responsibilities and they, 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 what, what the role really is. You know, we're not just trying to map it to what we have in our existing processes. It's a new process. It may require new people. And I, I find that it's the business analyst. It's the, the traditional technical, the real analytical, and they're brilliant people. I love them. They fascinate me because these business analysts are so amazing at taking complex problems and doing doing a really good job of trying to think of everything that could possibly happen, which just makes my head explode. But these are the people that end up driving backlogs for teams. And, and I find myself constantly um, spending way too many hours just trying to align flow of, of information to teams to enable Scrum to even take shape. So I was curious, curious what, uh, what, you know, which if you've had uh, challenges like that as well, I mean, to, to me, it feels like we've abused the word product owner in Agile way too much. It's like, it's like product owner is an Agile thing. And it, it, it isn't. It's a Scrum thing. And if I'm going to use Scrum, I need somebody who is better at creating problems or, or, or explaining problems and motivating and engaging people to solve them rather than writing user stories or being able to right. just, you know, prize. like it, it, it's an entirely different type of person. And I found that for me, I, I just go, I say, I mean, where are all the product owners out there? If I'm seeing these scrum shops, where, where really are they? Cause it, it takes a special type of person to enable that framework to run. Yeah. I've, I've actually seen the exact pattern that, that you laid out where a very talented BA took over a product backlog. And there is a lot of time and coaching that goes into turning off the analytics from a tester and trying to get them more into sharing information, acting transparently, flowing those stories out to developers, not assigning because sure. there's still that tendency because they want to assign the bug. Now they want to assign the story. And so that, I think you're right there. That can be a time sink. But I also share your, your frustration, I think, with where have all the product owners gone? Because it's not a new concept. Yeah. There have been product owners since the first product was created. Yep. I mean, that's it's the care and feeding of your product. It's interaction with the customer. It's all those things that we that traditional business has done since the beginning of time. And it shouldn't be too terribly different now, except for the collaborative aspect of the role. Yeah. Right. So now you're implanted. It's almost like the reporters who get it, you know, implanted with a, a military strike force in a foreign country. Now you're a a business person who's been, you know, you're integrated with a software development team and you are in foreign territory working with them on how to turn your thoughts into their code. <laughs> and that, that, that's a key difference. It's that customer collaboration over contract negotiation, you know, the lost uh, value of the Agile Manifesto. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. It's a difficult role to fill. It's one that, that not many people do it well. And to counteract that, whenever I'm dealing with a product owner who's struggling, I hand them Bob Galen's book. Scrum product ownership, balancing value from the inside out. Balancing value from the inside out, that's it. It's a treasure trove. I, you can read this, but I've gone through it probably five or six times now. It's full of notes and highlights, and just every time I read it, there's a new thought about that role. He just, he captures it so well. And so I think anyone out there that wants to be a product owner who's struggling being a product owner, that's a book to pick up and just internalize. The more of Bob Galen's insights you can pull in, I think the better you're going to be. Yeah. You want to know an interesting, so interesting little thing I've uncovered in the last year. I'm a big believer, you know, again, in, in, in people and I, I'm really fascinated by the, you know, behavioral aspects of different people and how they respond to, you know, scrum framework or, or agile thinking. I have found that, you know, and I think you probably agree with this. Most companies that say, yeah, yeah, we're using scrum really aren't right? <laughs> they're, they're trying, but they're, it's not really there. Right. And, and a lot of those struggles happen, again, I think with the idea of I have the, the, the product owner. And 
when I've, I've realized that maybe we have the, we're putting the wrong people in this place and maybe there's better places for what we're calling product owners now that we can leverage, but we're going to need, you know, real product owners. I've asked people this instead of product owners, what if we just change the word and let's see how that affects people. And I started calling them product leaders. And I've had a couple of cases now where people have said, so we're going to be calling them product leaders. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important change we're going to make. They're going to be product leaders now. Oh, we've got the wrong person then in that place. It's like, Really? Snap, just like that. I don't know, something about the owner, because this, like a business analyst was so technically knowledge and could really own, oh, they're the owner. But no, no, if, if they need to be a leader, no, 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 that's not the right part. And I found that to be fascinating. Kind of stop using product owner in places where it feels a little abused. <laughs> We're kind of getting a, you know, a little squishy with our use of user stories and, and, and product owners. I started calling them product leaders. And all of a sudden, people start to say, oh, well, we should probably readdress who we have in that role then. Fascinating. Yeah, I think the distinction in words is, is excellent. The product owner sounds tactical, right? It's more of a day-to-day. The product leader sounds strategic. Yeah. Right? And I want, I want a strategic thinker as a product owner. I want them thinking about future direction of the product, how it interacts with or imp- how it impacts a customer's life, you know, where the value is, where the... You know, all those things are. I don't want them thinking about the next ex- acceptance test they're going to write. Right. That shouldn't be their core focus. And so I, I do, I do agree. I, I like that distinction a lot. And I may give that a shot the next time I'm having a conversation with someone struggling to assign a uh, a product owner. And maybe that's the that's the drill, or maybe that's the pro tip. You know, that's the if you're struggling with who to pick out, who would you want to see as a product leader instead of a product owner? And if that makes your decision simpler, maybe you need to change the word too. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I like it. Well, well use it. Experiment. We're going to adaptively experiment for our competitive advantage. And <laughs> well, I think it's, it's important that, you know, the fun part about joining the Agile community is that words matter. And I find that when I get around some of the, you know, you get around the, the thought leaders and I even hate that term. And I'm using bad words here. So let's say you get around some of the, the more well-known Agile people, right? You get the, around the authors and the speakers and on all of these big thinkers, right, that we aspire to be someday, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you start using the wrong words, they stop you immediately and call you out. And it's not to be rude. It's not to be disrespectful. It's because there's a meaning behind that word. And that, this is the first community I've seen where, well, it's, I think the medical profession is words are very important. But uh, in our in our careers in our in our industry, Zach, I think this is an area where, yeah, if you use the wrong words in an agile context, you really can cause. It's almost like an anchoring effect, right? Well, product owner, they own the product, they manage the product, yeah. So they're tactical, so they're delivery based, and it, all of a sudden you go on this path. But instead, product leader anchors that strategic thinker, outward looking, you know, multiple focus. I think it is, it's just a neat side effect of the community that these words have so much power. Hit me with your book recommendation. What should I be reading? And I'll give you mine. My book recommendation. So I will actually show you. I love this little book. So I just picked it up. It's Jason Little's Lean Change Management. Mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying it. I think he's laid out these canvases that he's using to to do organizational change. Very powerful. Really interesting way to uh, to do. It's just an information radiator that I I think this is going to be a this will be powerful stuff. Okay, I got it written down, so I'm going to check it out. Um, I mean, so I just finished, and I, I mean, it's not a you know. <laughs> 
everyone's reading it these days, but I mean, reinventing organizations is, is pretty fascinating. So if you haven't seen or haven't started reading Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Laloux, L-A-L-O-U-X, man, that is some amazing stuff. I mean, everyone, so, so listeners know, yeah, okay, I'm a little psychological. I like the behavioral side of people. So Reinventing Organizations really explores our, our development of, of as humans and how we form organizations. But it's amazing and inspiring to hear some of these organizations that have been created where, wow, that, that's an agile. We talked about an agile organization. Wow, that's it right there. So really cool. Check it out. And I, I'm rereading right now Joy Inc. by Richard Sheridan. And if you haven't read Joy Inc., that's readers out there, pick it up. That's you're an agile thinker and you want to think, huh, how can leadership really enable, you know, change and transformation in a beneficial, meaningful way? There it is. Joy Inc., Richard Sheridan. I think those are three great books for people to pick up and Bob Galen's book. Got to read that one. I think that's a must read. Even if you're a scrum master and you're not a product owner, that's a must read just to understand who you're interfacing with. Would you agree? Yeah, it's great. Great, great piece of work. So there's four more books for our listeners. As Zach, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to episode one yet, but we've probably recommended probably 17 books in three episodes now. So We are treasure trove of knowledge. We are just broadcasting literature for all to enjoy. Amazon.com loves the Agile community, I think. (laughs) So... Well, you are right. We have reached our time box, and uh, we both have, I think, little ones to attend to. So I think we, we're going to wrap it up here with just, do you have any last thoughts? Any? Well, we've had, I think, an excellent conversation. Really have, have enjoyed finally getting to speak to you yeah. and, and not just argue with you on LinkedIn. Yeah, because so, we did argue. Uh, Remember, our first, our first interaction was, uh, was, was quite back and forth about estimating. So uh, it, you it, know what? an interesting I th- start. I, I think what was interesting there is that we won't bore everyone with the details, but I think it's just such a passionate topic. And these LinkedIn conversations are imperfect mediums. Is Oh, things get sideways. So, things get sideways real fast over messages, you know? Yeah, agreed. But uh, no, I appreciate that we both reached out, took care of it. And I, I thought this was great. I hope we get to do this again. The last pro tip or the last, we've had a wide ranging conversation, but what do you think if, if people can just do one thing tomorrow, what should they do? Okay. So for the first thing to do tomorrow, go in and look at your self-organizing teams, take a look and test them to ensure that they've got a shared goal that they're working towards. We talk about self-organization and agile. We're not doing a strong job at making sure that our teams align with a shared goal. Because in the absence of a shared goal, self-organizing teams, they turn to chaos and bad things start happening. So don't let the chaos happen. Make sure that, that we're creating purpose and goals for our teams. Strong words to finish on, Zach. Thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Um, well, yeah, um, I, I'm guessing in the notes, so we'll maybe have a link in to uh, that, that article. So you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I use that. And I am finally, finally, after... Years and years of saying I'll never do it. I'm on Twitter. You can check me out at Twitter at Zach Boniker, all one word. And that's probably going to be the, the best way. LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Happy to talk with you. I love this stuff. I'll chat anytime. Hey, I had a blast, Ryan. Let's do this again. All right. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, please visit AgileAnswerMan.com and leave a comment 
on the podcast posting, or if you'd like to reach out on iTunes, we'd love to hear your reviews and feedback. Five stars helps us out a lot, and five is our favorite number, so if you'd please go out to iTunes, leave a review of the podcast, we certainly would appreciate it. You can also hit up at Ryan Ripley on Twitter, along with all of our other hosts, to, to leave your comments and feedback. We'd love to hear about the topics that are important to you and how we can make the show better and more valuable for you. Thanks for listening, and have a great night. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.